thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah spoke these words. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Then it happened, after 400 years of silence, a child was born and laid in a manger. His name, Jesus. And he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. You will have the light that leads to life. Let there be light. Well, good morning, church. I want to say welcome to all of you who are here in the house today and to all of you who are watching from your house today. Thank you for joining us for church or uh, for church online. So glad we can worship together today. We're in the middle of this series that we're simply calling Let There Be Light. And I want to begin today with this question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're living in the in-between? This past Tuesday night, our family, like I'm sure many of you did, we stayed up a little later than usual to watch uh, the election results roll in. Um, thinking, I don't know what we were thinking, but we were thinking that maybe we might find out who the president would be Tuesday night. As you're fully aware, we did not. No one did. What was election night became election week, and all of a sudden, as a country, we found ourselves living in this in-between moment. There's this moment of limbo. There's this moment of uncertainty, of, of not knowing. And you could almost feel the collective anxiety of the world around us beginning to rise. You could hear it in conversations you're having with friends within your circle. Uh, just this anxiety about what's going to happen next and what's going to happen in, in the next few days as, as these results roll in. What if he wins or what if he wins and what does that mean about the next four years? And, and it's not just that. You can see the anxiety rising on your social media feeds as people are posting opinions here and what they think over here and in any news station you turn on. There's just anxiety because all of a sudden we're living in this in-between moment. Uh, we know who our president has been, but we don't know if he's going to be the president again or if it will be someone else. So we're living in this, this moment of uncertainty, this moment of unknowing. What do you do when you're living in the in-between? But this is the human experience, isn't it? So often, this is where we find ourselves. So many times, in, in a thousand different ways, all of us have experienced this. We're living between what has been and, and, and we're not sure what's going to happen next. I mean, you've been there, I've been there. You, you've gone to the doctor and now you're just waiting for the phone call about the test results and you're waiting to see what's going to happen next. You went for the, for the job interview and you think it went well, but you don't really know and you won't know because you're waiting for the phone call to find out if you got the job or not. There's another round of, of layoffs within the company and, and you're not sure at this time if you'll, if you'll be able to avoid that or not or if it'll be your turn and you've got to find something else and you're just waiting to find out. So many times we find ourselves in this season of waiting, in the season of unknowing between what has been but not sure what's going to happen next. And whenever we feel that, whenever we're in that moment, there's just this anxiety that arises within us. I think everybody in the room, or if you're watching online, 
we probably all fall into one of three groups, right? Uh, either either uh, you've just come out of a moment, an in-between moment, or uh, you're in the middle of an in-between moment, or you're about to go into an in-between moment. And the crazy thing about it is you can be in more than one group at once, right? <laughs> and sometimes when that happens, it just feels overwhelming. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you find yourself living in that land of in-between? Uh, the people of God know something about living in the land between. Uh, throughout the centuries, over and over again, the people of God have found themselves in this situation on more than one occasion. And today what I want to do is I want to look at just, just one moment. So if you have your Bible or if you have the Version Bible app, I would invite you to open that up to Exodus 13. Uh, there was a man named Moses who was living in the land of Egypt. And before we get to the story in Exodus 13, I want to set up the story. The problem in the days of Moses is that the population of Israel was growing exponentially. It was growing rapidly. And the Egyptians were fearful that if the population of the Israelites continued to grow, if the Hebrews began to, begin to grow, they would no longer be able to maintain their power over the people. They, were no, they would no longer be able to control them as their slaves. And so the Pharaoh, the ruler, the king of Egypt made a declaration, made a new law. And he said, every newborn baby boy should be killed. This is how we'll control the population. Every Hebrew baby boy who is born should be put to death. The problem was there was a woman named Jochebed. And she was pregnant. And when she gave birth, she realized that her new baby was, in fact, a baby boy. What are you going to do? I mean, the terror of the thought of some Egyptian soldier coming into her house and taking her baby boy and slaughtering her child was more than she could bear. So she did the only thing that she could think to do. She took this child, she put him in a basket, she took him to the river, and she pushed him out into the water, hoping against hope that somehow someone would find him and he would survive. And as God would have it, that's exactly what happened. There was a woman who was in that same river who was bathing and who discovered this child, but she wasn't just any woman. She was a princess, a princess of Egypt, the daughter of the same Pharaoh that gave the order to have every baby boy, every Hebrew baby boy killed. But when she found this boy in this basket, in this river, she said, no, not today. And she took that child and she decided she was going to take him home and raise him as her own. And she gave this child the name Moses. The name that literally means drawn from the water. So get this, his name literally means drawn out from the middle, from in between the riverbanks. This is the child's name, Moses. The one who's drawn out from the in-between, drawn out from the water. And he grows up in Pharaoh's house. As an Egyptian prince, a son to the daughter of Pharaoh, but he's fully aware that he's not Egyptian. He's fully aware of his identity as a Hebrew, as an Israelite. So one day when he's grown up, he's outside the palace, he's walking the streets, and he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being attacked by an Egyptian. So he decides to intervene. You know what he does? He ends up killing the Egyptian. And when that happened, he knew the consequences of that action would be severe. 
And he was afraid. And he did what people do when people are afraid. He ran. He fled. This is what we do when we're full of fear, right? We, we run. This is what Moses does. He runs. He leaves Egypt, and he runs into this self-proclaimed exile, into a foreign land, into a wilderness. And for 40 years, he's living in a land of his own exile. For, four, for the next 40 years, he's living in this land of darkness. For the next 40 years, he's living in a land of regret. 40 years goes by. Moses is walking in the wilderness until one day something happened that changed everything. In the middle of his wilderness, in the middle of his regret, in the middle of his own darkness, he sees a light. He sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not on fire. It's burning, but it's not burning up. Whatever this light is, it's not the light that would normally come from a fire because fire consumes what it burns, and this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. Where is this light coming from? Well, he finds out this light is the light of the presence of God. And in the middle of his own personal darkness, in the middle of his own personal exile, in the middle of this wilderness, in the middle of his own night, the light of God comes and he calls Moses to come out of that wilderness, out of that darkness, to return to Egypt, not to save one Hebrew as he had tried to do before, but now to save the entire nation of Hebrews, to save all of Israel. And Moses returns to Egypt. He returns to Pharaoh's house. And I wish I had time today to recount this epic story, this epic drama of everything that unfolds next. Go back and read the first few chapters of Exodus. It'll blow your mind. But through a series of supernatural and miraculous events, Pharaoh finally decides to let the people of Israel go. And they follow Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness. And here's the problem. They don't know where to go. They've left Egypt, and they followed Moses. But there's no map. There's no GPS. They don't know where they're headed next. They know that God has a place prepared for them, this, this promised land, but they don't know where it is, and they don't know how to get from where they are to where God wants them to be. So I want you to hear this story. We'll pick it up in Exodus 13, verse 17. And I want you to hear what happens next. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and returned to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Can you imagine what this moment must have been like for the people of Israel? They've experienced the supernatural deliverance of God. Now they find themselves free from bondage, free from slavery, free from the darkness of the land they were living in, but now they don't know what to do next. And God is concerned. God is concerned for his people that if they face adversity, they might give up on the plans of God, give up on the direction of God, give up on the designs of God, and return back to slavery in Egypt. Can you even imagine that? They've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Why in the world would they ever want to go back there? 
But yet this happens all the time, doesn't it? You ever seen this? You ever experienced this? People set free from bondage. People set free from addiction. People set free from their problems or their temptations or their sin or their struggles. Only whenever they face some kind of adversity or some sign of struggle in their life, they return back to where they were before, even though that's not where they want to be and that's not where God wants them to be. But they face some kind of adversity and it's more than they can bear and they go right back to where they were before. You ever seen that? You ever done that? So God says, instead of taking them on the shortest route, because the shortest route from where they are to where God wants them to be in the promised land, it's, it's going it's to be full of these Philistine camps of armies and soldiers. They're going to face adversity like they haven't seen before. They're not ready for that. So he's going to take them along an alternative route to get them from where they are to where he wants them to be. It's the long way around, but he's going to get them there. Maybe you're thinking, man, why is it taking so long for me to get from where I am? To where I believe God wants me to be. Maybe it's because God has you on an alternative route. Maybe God's taking you the long way around because he knows if you face too much adversity too soon, you'll go back to where you were before. Their only hope is to keep following Moses, keep following God, keep trusting, keep believing that what God has before them is greater than anything that was ever behind them. So in verse 20, I want you to hear how God leads them from where they are to the promised land to where he wants them to be. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And then get this. And he provided a night He provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. And this allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. How will the people living in this in-between place living in the land in between, between where they had been and where God wants them to be, between Egypt and the promised land, between their darkness and, 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 and the hope of the light of the promised land of God. How will they get from where they are to where God wants them to be? The only way is to follow the light of the presence of God. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And as long as they walk in the light, As long as they follow the light of his presence, God will take them to where he wants them to be. How do you, how do you do this? How do you live in the in-between moments of life? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you find yourself living in the in-between? I mean, so many of us are living right there today. I know that. So many of us are living between heartbreak and hope, between unmet expectations and, and, and maybe what will one day be, between, between you know, a relationship that's completely falling apart and the hope that that will either be restored or that a new relationship will be formed, between you know, opportunities that fell through and new opportunities that are on the horizon. And, and right there, when you're living in the middle, between the past of your sin and your shame and the hope of forgiveness and new beginnings, whenever, whatever the situation is, whenever you find yourself living in those in-between moments what do you do how how do you live in those in-between moments in life I think about all the times our family has been there we've been there 
I think about the times when we were made, waiting month after month after month to find out if one of our children had this life-altering illness. I think about the time when, when, when in, in a series of just a matter of weeks, we had like two pipes burst in our house, the transmission went out on our van, and then these huge medical bills rolled in, and it was just overwhelming. I think about the times when we felt like it was time to make a move and we had to make a move, but we didn't know where we were going to live or where we were going to work or what was going to happen next. Now, I remember time after time, and all of us have these stories, right, where, where things were happening in our lives, in our world, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. And we were praying to God, begging God for help, for hope, for direction, for guidance, for open doors, for closed doors. God, would you show us what do we do? Where do we go? What's going to happen next? And we pray over and over, God, God, if you're there, God, if you can hear, God, would you please show us what to do next, how to get through, what do we do? You're either in the middle of an in-between moment, you're, you're coming out of one, you're about to head into one. All of us have experienced these, and this is the question that surrounds all of us. What do you do when you're living in the land between? You do the same thing Israel did. You do the, you do the same thing the people of God did in this moment. You walk in the light. You follow the light of the presence of God, and you keep putting one foot in front of the other as faithfully as you know how, trusting that what God has before you is greater than anything that was ever behind you. And you believe that this promise is true, that the light of God will lead you. The light of God will lead you when you're living in the in-between. You live your life believing that the light of God will lead you when you're living in the in-between. I think what happens for so many of us is we, we believe God is with and God is for those who are experiencing the blessings of God. They're living lives that are blessed and highly favored and we look at them and we just feel like, yeah, God's with them. Life is good for them. And then those who are living on the margins, who are experiencing hard times, they're, they're praying and those asking those questions, you know, where is God? And those who are living in the in-between moments of life, they're asking very similar questions. But we know. We know, we know that, that God is near the brokenhearted. That, that even when God feels absent, He's near. And, and we know, those of us who have experienced the blessings and the favor and, and the goodness of God, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We believe that's true. I think what we sometimes forget, I think what we sometimes forget is that our God is also the God of those who are living in the in-between. And if you're living in that moment today, and my guess is either you're coming out of it, you're in the middle of it, or you're about to head right into it, I just want to remind you the way to find your way through it is to walk in the light is to follow the light of the presence of God. To follow that pillar of cloud by day and that fire by night, the light of God will lead you. 
The same God that that drew Moses out of the water, the same God that that drew Moses out of the wilderness, the same God that, that drew his people out of exile, out of the Exodus, out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. That same God will lead you and that same God will lead me. And he did it over and over again. He kept drawing his people out of those in-between moments. You know what happens next? You keep reading the story. But the Pharaoh changes his mind. The Egyptian army, they pursue hard. They're coming after the people of God. The people of God don't know what to do. What does the presence of God do? The presence of God goes behind his people and comes before his people. And then the presence of God divides the waters so that what can happen? The people of God can do what? Walk right in between the water. Over and over again, the people of God experience the deliverance of God in these in-between moments. And that's the story of the people of God, and that's our story too. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. What's amazing to me about this story, some of you may know this, but as they continued to follow the presence of God, God led them to the promised land. It took 40 years. I know this past week has seemed like a long week. I know this past year has seemed like a long year. The people of God were in the wilderness for 40 years before they reached the promised land. You know what happened? You know what what happened when they got to the promised land? Do you know the first city they came to? They entered the land of Canaan. They entered the, the promised land. And the first city that God brought them to, the first city that they would take, the first city that they would, that they would live in, they would dwell in, they would do life in, the first city in the promised land was the name, uh, the city of Jericho. And do you know what the, the name Jericho means? Some scholars translate Jericho as the city of the moon. What does the moon do? Well, it reflects the sun of the light of the sun into the night. What were the people of God to do? Reflect the light of God to the nations. And what are we on this side of the cross called to do? Oh man, we're called to reflect the light and the love of God to each other, to our neighbors, and to the world. And in a world that is so often filled with darkness, this is our calling. To share and to shine, to reflect the light of God to those around us, to those living in a land of darkness, to say there is a light. And he has a name. And in his name, there is hope. His name is Jesus. Let's sing.